You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. I'll be reading out of 1 Peter, if you want to flip there. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are you guys doing? I won't be alone for this one. It was funny because during our pre-gathering prayer, when they said me and Janice would be doing this topic together, um, everyone applauded, and I was like, that, none of that was for me. Um, well, you want to introduce yourself to the people who don't know? Um, I'm Janice, if we have not met. Um, I'm Ryan's better half. I, um, <laughs> I am also his ghostwriter, you know, so... <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, what were the notes again? Anyways. <laughs> but today we're wrapping up our series on the good way. Um, for If you're joining us today new or like need a refresher, um, we have been in an eight-week series exploring several practices that help orient our lives around the person and work of Jesus. And so we've gone, we started kind of in defining what a rule of life is, how do we order our lives, and then we went through things like, you know, rhythm of prayer and rooting ourselves in the story of God. We've talked about Sabbath, we've talked about participating in the family of Jesus, we've, we've gone through justice and mercy, hospitality, and now we land on our eighth and final practice. Now, what's interesting about this eighth and final practice, it is the most nebulous of all the eight practices. And today we're gonna be talking about wholeness, and holiness, wholeness and holiness. Now you're thinking that doesn't sound like a practice in and of itself, right? Like hospitality, very obvious what that is. Rhythm of prayer, scripture, these are very obvious th things as practices, but, but we end on wholeness and holiness because it is both a practice and actually the end to which the good way is oriented. All things, as like St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, has a telos, an end, something to which it's designed. And, and for a rule of life, the end goal of a cultivated rule of life oriented around the person and work of Jesus via these practices is a life of wholeness and holiness. And yet at the same time, these are practices in and of themselves. There are ways in which we can pursue these things. The question is how. And so what I want to do for us is, 
what we're going to do is I'm going to do some framing for us, and then Janice and I are going to have some kind of conversations in the middle around the practicalities of this. In other words, what does this look like when you put skin on and live this out in the real world? The, a, a topic like wholeness and holiness can end up very theological and very surface level. But we want to get down to like, how do you actually pursue these things? What does it actually look like to pursue wholeness and holiness? So we're going to start with holiness. And so... For most of us, I don't know the Christian tradition you grew up in, but for many of us, holiness, we treat it like a moral term. What I mean here is when we talk about something, someone who's holy, someone who lives a holy life, what we usually mean is someone who lives a good, moral, acceptable life. And that's usually what we think when we think of the term holy. We think of morality. We think of someone who's living well, someone who's obeying God's word, someone who's living according to his rules and precepts. That's what we think of of holiness. And that's not necessarily a wrong way to think of holiness, but there's a deeper level. See, in the Bible, before holiness has a moral meaning to it, it's actually a sacramental term. It's a term that has to do with worship. In the ancient Near East, um, the word holy referred to things that were set apart for a deity. So a chalice that held wine could be holy. A, a, a clothes, clothes the priest would wear could be described as holy. They were holy because they were set apart. They were not made for common use. You wouldn't take the priestly robes and use that as your fit for a Friday. Like you would honor these things as something separate from common everyday use. And so what happens is the people of Israel, they become holy themselves because God is holy. God calls the people of Israel to himself through Abraham and his covenant with Abraham, and God declares them holy. God declares them set apart and then invites them to live holy. In other words, holiness is both a status and something we pursue. It is both something we already possess and yet something we can lean into. In the New Testament, this takes on several connotations. Paul talks about holiness as like putting off the old self or, or, or dying to the self. In other words, when, when, when in the New Testament we talk about holiness, he says, how are we distinctly different people from our neighbors around us? How are we set apart for God's good purposes in the world? And so when we talk about pursuing holiness, that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about an abstract set of morals. We're not just talking about a seemingly good and ordered life. We're talking about being set apart for the purposes of God, which requires getting rid of some things, which requires some adjustment on our, our part. Just like a, a vessel could be made holy and consecrated for sacred use, so too our lives are made holy by Christ and consecrated for sacred use. But then how do we actually even leave, live into that? How do we actually embody that? How do we actually pursue holiness as a practice? How do we live set apart? And so that's why I wanted to kind of turn to you, babe, and I want to just ask you, you know, um, I want to ask you, yeah, for you and your life, how have you understood holiness? How have you pursued it in your own life? Um, so a little bit about me. I grew up in the church. Um, I was a pastor's kid. Um, now I'm a pastor's wife. So. <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> I feel like my, um, it's been a journey, I think, very much most of my life, I had a very unhealthy view of what it meant to be holy, what it meant to be set apart. And those words were like so ingrained 
in you as a kid, like, oh, you're not to be conformed to things of this world. You know, you are called to be set apart. And I think my understanding was always like, it's on me that like, you know, certain verses, and I'm paraphrasing, that was like, you know, you should be holy because God is holy, or you should be perfect for I am perfect. And that puts a lot of pressure when it's just like, you think that it's all out of your own strength. It's what I do. It's what I say. It's how I look. It's how I, you know, it, how I walk through life. And so I had to, I don't know how you do this with a mic. Practice. So I'm just going to read to you from Second Timothy um, one nine, and it says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Um, and just that, like, not because of anything we've done. So, again, taking, not taking the pressure off of us because, you know, we do hold responsibility um, as Christians, but um, knowing that it's just not on my own strength and it's not because of anything I've done or anything that I'm going to do. Um, yeah, so framing it that way. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful because I think there's a, depending again on the tradition you grew up in, there's actually a tradition of Christianity called the holiness tradition um, in which there's this vision in which holiness is this kind of ladder you climb until you kind of hit perfection. And the, actually the holiness movement believed that you could attain moral, holy perfection in this life. But I think when we talk about holiness as like a status, like Christ's calling makes you holy. His redemptive work on the cross is what makes you holy. It is what sets you apart. Then holiness doesn't become this thing like I, I strive to achieve, but something I actually live into. It's almost like, imagine my, my father just sent me his will recently, which is like, what are you trying to tell me? But he sent me his will, and, you know, you know our, my father and I haven't been close over the years um, for various different reasons, but we've we built a relationship as I've been an adult. And he sent me this will, and he's leaving some things to me. And the best way I could describe this is, the will is, is mine whether I whether I like it or not, like those things are left to me. It is up to me then to claim them. It is then up to me to say, when my father does pass away, to be the claimant on the will and then act, do the necessary things to actually live in the reality that I am my father's, um, and I have my father's inheritance. And it's the same thing with holiness. You are already made holy by Christ. You are designated as holy. You are set apart. But there isn't that transition yet which we've actually begun to claim that for our lives, to see ourselves actually as set apart for God's purposes. To see ourselves, how do I actually live and embody this thing? It's like, it's, what's, it's, it's, it's true, I know it's true here, but it hasn't become experientially true. So yeah, I think that's a helpful way of framing. It's not this thing we achieve, it's this status we've been given, but then we actually have to respond to it. And so, leads to my follow-up question is, so what practices for you have helped you like pursue this kind of holiness so it's not this thing you've achieved not this thing you're trying to grab at but it is this thing you're trying to pursue and so what practices have helped you in that um so there's also a difference between attending church and I've attended church again my whole life and um kind of getting rooted into the community 
and surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Um, and that way you can have some type of accountability, um, people you could share goals with, um, people who you could read books with and dive deeper into the word. And just like how if you had goals in any other aspect of your life, like if you had a financial goal, you wouldn't surround yourself with people who go out every single weekend and spend all your money and stuff like that. Like, I feel like people think that it's, it's not important, that like you can come in and, you know, serve God on a Sunday and then just, you know, be filled for the rest of the week. But it's so important to set that time up and... Um, for me, especially, it's like having accountability is, is great, especially having accountability for the gym. You will not find me working out if someone is not waiting for me there <laughs> because I have no motivation. So I guess for me, I, is, accountability is a huge factor. Yeah, I think for me, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, there is this sense in which the pursuit of holiness can be this utterly overwhelming concept. Um, what does it look to be like set apart and distinctly different from the world around us? And I think a practice um, that has helped me in my pursuit of holiness. I remember when I was a lot younger and I was um, in college working. I remember I had this practice of just naming for people that I was a Christian. Because um, all of a sudden, they expected things of me. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And so there was this great temptation, into, and especially... I don't know if you guys experience this. When you go to college, you get to like reinvent yourself. And at the same time, I was also like re coming into my faith like for myself for the first time. So like, well, if I have to reinvent myself, then the temptation is to keep this, this, this pursuit of God private, which is how culture kind of, religion is this private thing you do. But anyone has any experience with religion knows that religion is never private. It influences your life. And so I just had this practice of letting people know who I was so that I, they, there was a sense of, uh, to your point about accountability, there was a sense of, in this space, I know now I have to respond. I know I actually have to be kind when my coworker calls out and doesn't let me know and I have to show a measure of grace and understanding. I, I know I have to respond to conflict in a certain way because I've, I, I've, I've named myself. I said, this is who I am. This is who God has called me to be. And now I have to, present that witness to the world. And it, it, is, it is very real for many of us to go through our waking lives. We have this space, it's beautiful, we're Christians here, but the pursuit of holiness really matters outside these doors. It's, it's in our everyday waking life. That's where Christianity happens. This is a beautiful place where we come to worship God and we gather with fellow believers. But this place has always been a sending place. That's why we leave with a benediction. We bless you so to go back out into the world and live this thing out. So I think of pursuing holiness, I think of like, what do I have to do in my waking life to live and respond in a way that points to the reality of God? Not perfectly, not without its challenge, but at least to have that, like, God, like, I want to image you well. I want, when people see my life, I want people to know that you are real and active. Eugene Peterson had this great prayer. He said, Lord, make me the person people think I am. That's great. As a pastor, it's even better. Um, because there is this great sense in which, right, like we can get by on our, on our reputation, but reputation and integrity are two different things. You can cultivate a reputation, but integrity is who you really are. I think when it comes to the pursuit of holiness, I think it's easy to kind of skirt by on, well, people think I pray, 
but do I? People think I respond kindly, but when push comes to shove and no one's watching, is that true of me? And, and part of confession is just naming the truth about yourself. And if you do that often enough, we can begin to identify, okay, God, where am I honoring you? Where am I not? And how can I pivot towards that life that does honor you? But I think for both of us, in the tradition we grew up in, we talk about holiness all the time. Every sermon, holiness was somewhere there. Uh, we did the awkward thing in youth camp where, like, you'd, like, get in a circle and confess your sins out loud. Which is both hilarious because teens have very weird conceptions of what sin is. So you'd get something really tragic and deep, and then you get, like, the kid who's like, is it a sin to, and name something like, that's probably not a sin. It's definitely weird. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll let you slide. It's not technically, you know, um. So we're in a tradition, we both grew up in a tradition in a, in a church community that valued holiness. But I don't, I don't know about for you, but when I was a teenager, I began to ask, but so what? Like, why am I doing all this work to be set apart? I don't know if you ask yourself the same question. Like, why, do I have, why am I going to cultivate a rule of life? So, so what? For what? Why am I going to pursue using my body, body differently than my, my friends would? Why would I pursue... Um, a sense of integrity in my work when I know I can cut ahead and get ahead of people. And so that means I'm going to lose out on the promotion. Like this, holiness has real implications on our lives. And for what? So what? Like why are you doing what you're doing? I know we were kind of left wanting with that, with that question. Our tradition never really answered for us. And so this is the connection to wholeness. I truly believe that we are made holy then to be whole. That wholeness is the unique byproduct of holiness. See, in, in Paul's analogy of, of, of taking off, of unburdening ourselves of that which is harmful to us, that those cycles of sin that destroy and maim and harm our neighbor, you have, you, you, the, the first step is taking it off, right? You put off the old man, you die to the self, but that's just part of the journey. I think for, for, for me, growing up, that's all I knew how to do. I knew how to like kill the flesh, but I didn't know what was the next step. And the next step of holiness is to walk into human wholeness. The unique call of Christianity is not to become less human, it is to become truly human. Jesus is the most human to ever human. He is the truly human one. And it's in Jesus, the image of God is redeemed, that, that God's, that who we truly are meant to be in God is made right and whole. So we have to be first set apart for the purposes of God so that we might experience the true, full humanity that's avail available in Jesus. We have to die so we might live. That is the great paradox of the Christian religion, that life comes through death, that, that gain comes through loss. That, that resurrection comes via a cross. This is what it means to live holy. I'm set apart so I can be whole. You know, Paul says in, in one of his letters that you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. A lot of times we read that verse and we think individually. So I am a new creation, and so my old me is dead, and I have this new me. But if you read Paul, that context in light of Paul's theology, what Paul's really saying is Jesus has inaugurated a new creation. In his resurrection, Jesus has set forth the redemption of all humanity and creation. To be a new creation is then to live like that new creation is already here. 
to set our lives apart from the normal humdrum ways of, of the world, from the ways of sin and death, so we're free to live as if the fullness of God's kingdom is already present. To live now like we will live in eternity. That has always been the call of holiness, to be set apart so we can be whole. And so that requires us then not just to view holiness as this kind of, we're either just like, I don't know about you, like I used to think holiness was like, I keep track of my sins, I do the confessions I need to do, and that was just, it was just like a running in a hamster wheel, right? It was just the same process. I would sin, okay, fine, I got to die to that sin now, and I have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over until I realized, hold up, it's not just about dying to the sin, it's about then living this new life. In other words, if holiness is a status that is given to us, then being whole is living into that reality, making it true for who you are. And to say with full confidence, despite still living in our bodies, which carry the brokenness of death, despite living in this world, which is still full of its broken systems and injustices, I'm going to live today like I will live with Jesus for eternity. That is what it means to be whole. But it comes via the holiness. It comes being the putting aside, the setting apart, the dying to self. And in that, we experience the resurrection life of Jesus. And so almost for many of us, we've pursued holiness, but we've never accepted the invitation to wholeness. The invitation into actually living as if the resurrected Jesus is present in you. And so a question I want to ask you is, so given we grew up in that tradition, we learned a lot about holiness, but I know for both of us, like even as we got married, we were like learning how to like live into what does it mean to actually be whole humans and accepting that invitation, that like resurrection invitation of Jesus. So for you today, like how have you oriented yourself, not just from like dying to self, but like actually pursuing wholeness, becoming a whole person? Um, so I'm a very visual person. So the way that I think about wholeness and holiness is like, you know, we are these broken vessels, right? Um, and God is filling in those cracks that exist in us. Um, and the dying to the self, I don't, God doesn't want us to be these like Christian robots. We're all the same. We all, you know, we all have different personalities, different strengths and weaknesses. So God is filling in those gaps where we lack but even when he fills in those gaps, we're still just a vessel, an empty vessel, right? So that's the wholeness. We're a whole, complete piece. But then we then have to be intentional about filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit and um, with the word and stuff like that. So it's just like there's two parts to it. Um, and it's hard. We have to let God invade parts of our lives that sometimes we don't want him to touch. Um, for me, it could be something simple as like, you know, I didn't have time to read my Bible today. Maybe I should listen to worship on my way to work instead of, you know, Queen Bee or, you know, I don't know. Like, but it's like little things for me. It could be in the simplest little things. If I'm at yoga and at the end when people are like aligning their chakras or whatever they do, that I'm inviting God. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, doing a breath prayer and like God, you know, cover me today, um, cover me at work because people just test my patience. You know, it's um, <laughs> things like that, that maybe they're simple and they're small little acts throughout your day, but it's a constant 
um, longing for for God to come in and just change your life. It doesn't have to be this huge radical change. It could be the small intentional things that you do. Yeah, and I, I think that's it. I think wholeness, your alarm went off. Um, <laughs> wholeness is about being fully who God has created you to be, not less than. And I think for some of us, that's maybe our perception of, or has been our perception of what the invitation to holiness is. is like in this dying, the goal is to lose myself. And that's not partly wrong, but the self you're losing, what Paul calls the flesh, it's that inclination in us to live selfishly, to live for ourselves and ourselves alone. So that's the thing God is asking you to part with, not the beautiful person he's created you to be, all, all your gifts and your personality, your heritage and your history, all that God doesn't want to erase, he wants to redeem. He wants to orient that story, your story in his story. And so wholeness then becomes about that pursuit. God, what does it look like for me to be whole and fully human? Because here's the thing about sin. Sin dehumanizes us. Sin makes us less than human, and it makes others less than human. It's why we were so appalled at great acts of evil, because in these great acts of evil, we, we're able to take our human brothers and sisters and make them less than so we can justify our actions towards them. And so what God wants to redeem to make you fully human is to make you fully who you are always called to be despite the effects of sin and broken, brokenness present in us. And so what does it look like to actually pursue that? I think to your point, it's those small acts. There's this great um, scene in, 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 in Lord of the Rings where, you know, yeah, you know, I'm a nerd. It's fine. I got like the Hobbit cardigan on today, to be honest. But there's this moment where, 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 where Gandalf makes this claim that, you know, even today hobbits will change the course of men. And what's the claim Tolkien's making there as the author is that Evil is ultimately defeated by small acts of faithfulness, small acts of kindness, small acts of mercy and justice. And that's why I think we talk about rule of life. It's not about like revamping your entire life. It's about saying, God, where are you already present and working and active in my life? And how can I respond to those invitations? And then in that response, I become whole. I become truly who God has always called me to be. And yeah, there's a dying involved, but that dying is so you might be lived more fully. That's the great beauty of the, of the story of the resurrection. When Jesus re- rises from the dead, he doesn't rise as he was. He rises as he truly is, the resurrected Lord of all things. And so even his body, though it still bears the scars of his crucifixion, is this glorified body. There's a sense in which wholeness, to become truly whole, is to become so human we actually be, feel a little bit more than human. We, we actually feel Christ-like. And so, but that's all beautiful, and it sounds really lovely, but it's not without challenge because we still live in these bodies, and we still live in the brokenness of this world. So for you, um, Janice, what challenges have you faced in your pursuit of wholeness? Um, one is I'm born and raised New Yorker, so time is money, right? I, you know, this is your profession. You get, you know, to pray all day, but... (laughs) 
And like, when I come home from work, I'm not like, ooh, can't wait to read my Bible. Like, I have to cook, I have to clean. Like, you know, there are other things I have to do. So like, um, I feel like for me. Hold on, I do a lot of cooking though, let's be honest. I have to clean his mess after he cooks. <laughs> so anyway. It's the thought. So, so I think for me, it's just um, saying, like, placing importance, you know, just like I place importance on having my house in order or catching up on my favorite show. Like, you have to place importance and set time aside in your day to do these things. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge for me. Um, another challenge is um, you really have to be vulnerable. You have to come at this, like, God, I am not perfect. God, I am broken. God, this is where I lack. Um, and to really be humbled and to lay that all out before him, it's not always fun. It doesn't look pretty. Um, but that's where the real work happens um, in those moments. Yeah, I like that you said of this this kind of approach of vulnerability and humility. I know for both of us, um, when we got married, you we were kind of like thrust into um, ministry at like a large church with a lot of eyes on us. And I think it actually stunted our growth a lot. I think because no one likes to learn in front of others. That requires failing in front of others. And I think one of the dangers of a space like this is that very quickly there can be a sense of spiritual posturing. And so we all got to act like we got it together and you're good and I'm good and I pray and you pray. And God forbid you see me fail and stumble, fall flat on my face in this thing. And I think for us, when we were in that, in that role, we felt like we couldn't fall flat on our face. And we felt like in our pursuit of wholeness, we couldn't learn in front of others. And I think that became a key hindrance to us being whole. And I think also when you're in those positions, in, even in just a position that you are given an opportunity to speak into someone's life, like, um, I want to encourage you to not think like, well, I don't even have it all together. Like, I was just crying yesterday about X, Y, and Z or my situation. Um, that doesn't disqualify you from pouring into someone else or praying for someone else um, because... God wants to use each and every one of us. Um, we would, we were over a youth ministry, so we would have kids with no boundaries calling us at like two in the morning, like with their problems, and I'm like, I just want to sleep. Um, but you know, like in those moments, we were able to have like great, um, great breakthroughs. Even though it, it was a, a learning curve for us, but um, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting, like, and that's the beauty of the gospel, is the gospel isn't dependent on you, and so while you're still getting it together, you can still be a witness, and while you're still healing and growing and deepening your relationship with God, you still have something to give, because the thing you have to give isn't yours anyways, and so, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think even as a church, I think how, how can we grow as a church into our, our, our communal wholeness, it's like, I would love us to become like a witnessing church. Not because we got all the answers, but because we're like, hey, I'm falling flat on my face, but there is this person named Jesus who is at work in me. And I can fail in front of others, and I can grow, and I can learn. And that, that's actually the witness. Becoming more Christ-like is an actual witness, which requires 
being vulnerable and honest and true to who we are. Um, yeah, challenges facing the pursuit of wholeness. I think one more thing I'd add is um, there is this sense in which it is utterly overwhelming. Um, and there's a frustration, right? One of my biggest frustrations, and I'll have it to the day I die, is like, God, like, why aren't you working out now the things I want worked out? Like Paul, when he's praying, like, I got this thing, Lord, and I want it taken away from me. And God's like, my grace is sufficient for you. And it's like, that's wonderful, but <laughs> I want this thing worked out. And so, like, I think that has been a hindrance to me. And I, but then I think this opportunity to, like, lean into, do I actually, like, really believe what I preach? And I've had, I've had that moment multiple times in my life where, like, I've preached a sermon, and then I'll like, go home, sit down, and be like, do I actually believe that for me? And I, and, and I think that's a part of the pursuit of wholeness is to sit down and say, God, like, do I actually believe you are who you say you are? That your grace is sufficient for me? That your, your, your strength is made perfect in my weakness? And, like, and that's where like, doubt is a part of faith because you have to be bold enough to ask the questions so that maybe we can begin experiencing the God working it out in us. But, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to add, a final, a final word to the people. Nope. She's like, this is all I wrote for the sermon so far as your ghostwriter, so you're on your own from here. Thank you so much. Worship team, why don't you come join me, prayer team, um, communion team, everyone get oriented and ready. I do want to end here by returning to the verse we read in the beginning. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring to you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to desires that you are formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I, I want to highlight one verse here as we end. Um, Paul, he's giving this call, I'm sorry, Peter, he's giving this call to, for, for the people he's writing to to be holy, to be set apart. To, to live such a life that they are actively pursuing this character, this nature of who they are, that they are the set-apart people of God. In, this, in, in, in Peter's letters, there's this theme that, that the church exists like a priestly people set apart to be witnesses to the world. And so he says, be holy as God is holy. But he orients this in a, in a specific context. He says, he says, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. In other words, Peter roots his call to holiness in the context of a larger story. Prayer, scripture, Sabbath, family, hospitality, justice, and mercy. All these practices, holiness, wholeness, they're all but shadows of a greater reality. They're all but a foretaste, a glimmer, a signpost, a, a sneak peek at to what will be. 
a moment ago I mentioned like living out the reality of do we actually believe what we will believe? Well, what the great Christian hope is of new creation, is of resurrection, is of the complete reunification of the world, God and humanity dwelling together as one from the brokenness of the garden to a picture of a garden city that fills the entire world. That's the Christian hope. And a lot of times, being followers of Jesus, we root our, our, our faith in the here and now. But, but Peter's saying, actually, if you actually want to pursue holiness, and you actually want to be the kind of person that is holy as his father is holy, then you must set your hope on something. And so my question today is, in your pursuit of following Jesus, in the, your pursuit of having a rule of life and, and becoming the kind of person God wants you to be, where is your hope? Because if your hope is fixed on the here and now, the pursuit of holiness will be frustrating. The pursuit of wholeness will feel like just one, five steps forward, ten steps back. It, it will feel utterly depleting because, man, it, why can't I seem to figure this thing out right now? But Peter says, set your hope on the grace you'll, that you'll experience when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, the pursuit of holiness is oriented in what Jesus will do when he returns. That prayer is but a stopgap until we are, can see Jesus face to face. Scripture is a beautiful story getting to live, but one, way we, one day we won't need Scripture because Scripture will be fulfilled. That Sabbath and that pursuit of rest is good for the here and now, but one day there will be a Sabbath that never ends. That, the, that, that a life of, of family and the family of God is, is a good practice here and now, but it's in longing of that future family all seated around the banquet table of the Lamb. That justice and our desire for justice and mercy and our pursuit of it, even though we'll be fighting that fight to the day we see Jesus face to face, one day there'll be no more weeping and no more mourning and no more pain and no more sickness and no more death. That is the hope in which our faith is oriented. And so today... This is my invitation. If you're going to pursue wholeness and holiness, if you're going to order, have a rule of life, order your life, don't forget that all this is oriented in a future that is yet to be revealed. And so as Paul says, we press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so for those of you who are growing weary of heart at this pursuit of wholeness and holiness, can I just remind you that one day the fullness of it will come and it won't, because, because, it won't be because you got to the end of the line. It's because Jesus met you. And that's a great image in, 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 in the Gospels where, where Jesus is describing this kind of coming down where he's meeting us and heaven is reuniting with earth and we'll experience the full totality of his kingdom. We get it, but in part, a glimmer. But one day we'll see face to face. And it's that hope you have to keep here in your heart. Because if not... This life will grow weary, and the temptation to throw in the towel will be true. But if you hold on and do not lose heart, you will see the fullness of God and his kingdom for now and forever. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table together. And you can sin. Now we come to the Lord's table and celebrate our Redeemer, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, 
this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The gifts of God for the people of God. Before you come to the table, we do have our prayer team off on either side. And if you need prayer, and I I feel a call for prayer in two ways. One, some of us, we haven't even started to pursue holiness. We're, we're still dead in our sins. We're, we're still stuck in these cycles of brokenness that we seem we can't get out of. And today, if you want prayer for deliverance from that brokenness, from that cycle of sin, if maybe today you're like, hey, listen, I actually, I've never truly put my faith in Jesus as Lord, well, we want to pray for you. But for those of us, we've been serving Jesus some time. We get the holiness pitch. We, and we actually desire it, right? We want, we want to live life set apart for God's good purposes, but we've yet to take that step into actually pursuing wholeness actually becoming fully the people God has called us to be I invite you to come for prayer and so what you could do is you can come take of the Lord's table and then you can just slip off to the side and we'd love to pray for you Father be with us as we receive your gift your broken body and shed blood for us Amen come receive